Hey guys, uh, before the episode gets started, I just wanted to apologize for uh, some incidental background music that you might hear um, sounding very familiar to parents with small children. Um, I had my son in the room and I thought it was quite enough. It wasn't. I apologize. But hey, you could listen to Johnny Johnny Yes Papa over and over again like I do. So there's that. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Infinity Initiative, a 10th anniversary Marvel Cinematic Universe movie rewatch podcast. Episode 6, The Avengers. Hello there. Welcome to the Infinity Initiative. Avengers Infinity War is just over the horizon. To prepare, we're watching all the MCU movies in order. My name is Stuart, and I'm joined by Miss Christiana Ellis. Hello. We're big MCU fans and are super excited to rewatch these movies. So let's dive into Joss Whedon's 2012, The Avengers. Hi, Christiana. I'm so glad you were able to make this, this show. Oh, of course. Thank this you show. for uh, inviting me to uh, to join. I am a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, The Avengers is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm a big fan of yours. I've read Nina Kimberly, Space Casey, uh, was a big fan of the Shallow Thought series, what, 10 years ago now? Something like that? Yeah, well, nine, as, you know, brief (laughs) off off my conversation just uh, covered. Yeah, nine years ago. That seems like forever ago. It also seems like forever. I mean, that was, but since, you know, Iron Man came out. That's that's mm-hmm. how long the shows, <laughs> these series have been going on, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so, it, for those of you who don't know, Miss Christiana Ellis is uh, one of, I'm going to say, podcasting founders, but you're probably not going to say that. Um, well, you know, <laughs> it's uh, I w- I did start podcasting in fall of 2005, which is earlier than most, but I did get the idea because I heard other podcasts. So right. it's not like I uh, was an inventor or anything, but uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll take credit for being in on the ground floor. Let, let's call it early adopter. Yeah. Okay. I, I will pre tell you, iTunes pre I, yes, that is true. I remember having to figure out how to get, I think it was the shallow thoughts show onto my little not anything of an i of a iPod or anything like that player. It was really weird. <laughs> but yes, you and like T Morris and Scott Sigler and the Hutchinson. I mean, all of those guys. So yeah, uh, J C Hutchins launched his first uh, book of Seventh Son literally a week after I launched the first chapter of Nina Kimberly the Merciless, the first version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seventh Son is also a great series if you like the mcu you'll like that we'll put we'll put show notes in there um (laughs) it's a great series i highly suggest it um i agree and she agrees so there yeah (laughs) so okay now miss christiana i'm gonna ask you to cast your mind back to 2012 when you saw the avengers what was going what was happening i was really excited because it really felt like something new, something that it always seemed like it should happen, and yet they no one had ever been able to really make it work. And specifically in the context of having seen the movies up to that point, you know, Iron Man, and you know, I I remember thinking to myself at that time that neither of the 
Hulk movies, you know, obviously there's the Ang Lee one and then the, you know, so we have, you know, Eric Bana Hulk and we have Ed Norton Hulk. Um, and neither of those felt like part of the same thing to me. Um, even though I guess technically the, is it the Incredible Hulk is the one that's in the considered canon yeah. or? Ang Lee's Hulk is not considered part of the MCU, but the Incredible right. Hulk starring Ed Norton is. Yeah. But so technically, I, the Incredible Hulk is actually a sequel to Ang, Lee, Ang Lee's Hulk. Yeah. So I I liked both of those movies, yes. but for whatever reason, in my head, they didn't feel like the sa- part of the same thing. But certainly, Iron Man. Um, I remember seeing that and loving it and feeling like, oh, you know, like here's a comic book character that I had no interest in at all. I was only vaguely aware of, and hey, I really liked that movie. And then Thor, and it's like, another one. Like, I really had no investment in Thor as a character, and yet I enjoyed the movie. And then Captain America, and I, and it felt like three for three, where I'm like, they're taking these characters that, you know, I had no personal investment in and gave me personal investment in them. And now they're all going to be in a team up movie. I mean, it just felt like an exciting prospect just right on the face of it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, uh, very similar to the thing. Now I didn't read a whole lot of, of Marvel comics. I might've read a few Star Trek comics back in the day. I think there was maybe a Disney Aladdin comics, but I wasn't like a comic (laughs) collector. Right. So I liked movies. That was my thing. And so, yeah, I saw, um, Iron Man and Iron Man two and the Hulk and, and, you know, you've heard all those stories, but the idea of having a team up movie that was all of those guys in one movie was really exciting. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, uh, have kind of come and gone in comics over the years. Um, but I was, let's see, I was big into them in high school and then got into them again. Um, you know, let me think like seven or eight years ago. Um, but I was always more into like Spider-Man and the X-Men and Superman were like the characters that I paid most attention to. Uh, But just the same, something that's always been true about the comics is they cross over with other characters all the time. So even if you're only reading Spider-Man, you know, every so often he gets to meet up with Wolverine or gets to hang out with Daredevil or, or whoever. And, uh, and that was just a regular occurrence. And yet the movies had never really done that. You know, they had, we had the Raimi Spider-Man movies at that time. Right. And those were really good. But um, they still I, didn't cross over with other names. I mean, they exactly. had, they had like a rotating cast of villains, but you mm-hmm. didn't have Spider-Man at that time. It probably would have been any of the Brian Singer X-Men. Right. So yeah, right. you could have had uh, Spider-Man and Wolverine team up, but then you're dealing with rights issues. And that's, that's where I yeah. think the problem happened. Well, and that all seemed insurmountable. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much you guys have talked about, um, this on, on the other episodes, but I mean, a lot of that came down to how Marvel comics was in real financial trouble for mm-hmm. a while. And they basically had to sell off all of their movie rights to whoever would buy them. Mm-hmm. And that's why they got sp- spread out all over, you know, so you get X-Men and Fantastic Four over in one place, you get Spider-Man in another and so on. And it was only now that they're making their own studio and they're having to deal with the ones they have left. And what do they have left? Well, none of the big ones that other people would have mm-hmm. bought. 
So let's they say, okay, well, you know, who let's, do we have? Let's do the Avengers. Let's make them huge. Yeah. <laughs> let's 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 build them up so high that mm-hmm. you know that they will come crawling back to us. And lo and behold, that worked. So I think what happened is that it's just like the stories about Jaws, where uh the original idea, you know, where uh with with Jaws is that there was going to be a lot more of the shark in the movie, but the animatronic didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. And that pushed uh, the direction of the film into not showing it as much, which turned out to be really effective. And in this same way, I think what happened here is, you know, when they're making Iron Man, I don't think they have any idea they're going to be able to get it to where it even was when they made the Avengers, I think they were maybe hoping is like, wouldn't that be cool? But they're mostly making a movie that's going to stand alone. And then with a couple little bits of, you know, things that they could follow up on if they, if it works out, but then it goes really well. And then they start putting in these little things. And I think that's why the Marvel cinematic universe has managed to take off, um, where the DC has been struggling is because they got a running start. You know, they didn't try to do it all, all at once. Mm -hmm. They, you know, did several movies that were able to completely stand on their own and several characters. Right. I mean, yeah. If those characters, if the DC characters had had their own movies and then been really successful and then grown small, I think Mm -hmm. we'd be in a different situation over there. Um, but, and also, how do you grow another Superman? If I have to see another Superman movie, I'm going to not watch it. You know, <laughs> if I have to see another Batman movie where his parents get killed by the Joker again, I'm not going to watch it. You know, I, I don't want to well, see that. Not the Joker. The Joker <laughs> didn't. Well, I guess it depends. There's all sorts of different Batman canons in the, but, in the, in the Burton Batman movie. They did right. establish the Jack Nichols and blah, 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 all that stuff. But yes, I agree with you mm-hmm. um, in terms of it becomes a real hazard to end up having to retread the origin story over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that they are very aware of now, which is why um, they decided once they got Spider-Man that they, you know, they are going to go ahead and bring him in as an existing quantity, you know, Mm -hmm. new, but not brand new. We don't have to see the whole Uncle Ben thing. We know that already, so (laughs) they can just imply it. And so they bring him in in Civil War, and then he gets his own movie, but they're able to just assume that everybody knows that story already, and they're right to do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to have all of these Avengers tied in a neat bow with a Joss Whedon spin on it. I mean, that... So I was I was sold when they said Joss Whedon is going to do the Avengers. I was like, to take my money, I'm you know Fry throwing money at somebody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was a late convert to Buffy. I didn't start watching it until probably towards the end of season four is when I started watching Buffy. But I was certainly a fan of of that, and then Angel, and then Firefly, mm-hmm. uh, which were all before this, right? You know, yeah, right. Um, I actually wore my Captain Hammer shirt. To the <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> nice. It, it, dear listener, if you are able to get onto the internet and find, I think I took a picture of that. <laughs> me, at the, <laughs> me at the Avengers wearing my Captain Amber shirt. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so, so, oh, go ahead. But just the idea now that something that 
every time they'd made a comic book movie up to that point, it felt like you, it, one of the cool things that comics can do is these crossovers. Although, you know, if we wanted to talk about the comics industry, that, that can be uh, a crutch too, right? right? These big crossover events. But that's always been one of the cool things that you can do with comic book superheroes is mix and match, right? Mm -hmm. These unlikely partnerships and that sort of thing. Um, but no movie had been able to crack it. No other, uh, franchise that I can think of, maybe Star Trek, but probably not, where they've done a bunch of different movies that culminated in one movie. Yeah, I think Harry Potter is not the same thing, but was also kind of its own phenomenon yeah. going on in I parallel, mean, right? Just where that you have the same cast over multiple movies in sequence, which makes it this building thing. I mean, Lord of the Rings is another one. That's kind mm -hmm. of like that. But again, the scope of the MCU, and, and really this comes down to Kevin Feige, the scope of the MCU mm -hmm. is grander than I think the scope of even Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings series. Well, right, because Harry Potter, even there, even though there were a lot of books, there was a known quantity of books. Right. And they were adapting those books. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't have, you didn't wonder what movie five was going to be because book five existed already. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, every new story is, you know, like even if you've been reading the tea leaves and you know that, Oh, they're going to do the MCU take on this storyline from the comics, but they're changing it up every time because it's different. Right. You know, uh, the on the other show, we have a term for that. We call it, you know, we're going to MCU this. We've turned MCU sure. into a verb, you know, um, where you might have um, a few, you might have a different character, like Ghost Rider on the mm -hmm. on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was very MCU'd because, yeah. you know, the Nick Cage Ghost Rider was not, <laughs> I mean, was okay <laughs> for what it was, but it wasn't yeah. like super slick, right? And Kevin Feige and, and the MCU is very super slick and down to earth. Mm -hmm. And the new Ghost Rider sort of filled into that. What's been interesting, though, I think, you know, and I mean, we're we're getting pretty far afield from the <laughs> Avengers specifically, but one of the things that's been interesting as the MCU has developed is how it has really started splitting itself into its own little silos. Like, right. while in theory, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still completely within the same canon as the movies, they don't cross over anymore, you know? Um, like not since we lost Coulson in the Avengers, which of course transitioned to him being brought back for me for agents mm -hmm. of shield. And I love agents of shield, but it, that the interconnectedness between them seems to only go one way. Agents of shield gets influenced by the movies, but not vice versa. Right. And they mention you know, the incident in all of the Netflix stuff, but they can't call it the battle of New York. You know, right. there's, it's stuff like that. And <laughs> Part of me, deep down inside, part of me um, really hopes that some of our TV people will show up in Infinity War, but yeah. then, but then, even if it's just fan servicey, because you uh, understand that their their concern, of course, is that once you have more and more stuff, you can't rely on the audience having seen all of it. But you don't need to have seen the Jessica Jones TV show to have her show up in a group shot somewhere, you know? Yeah, I. And and I feel like if Infinity War is nothing, it is fan service. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it it is. Yes, they're going to try to tell a story and build 
make lots of money and all that sort of stuff. But at the heart of it, it's got to have at least a little bit of fan service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is the culmination of 10 years. It'll be 17 movies by that time. Well, (laughs) I think we ought to calibrate our expectations, though, because we got to remember that, like, even what, four or five years ago, they announced Infinity War as part one One and part part two. two. So we know this movie is not going to be the culmination. It's going to be act one of the culmination. Hey, hey. We, we can, I'm not compl- I can have as many high hopes as I want. <laughs> I'm not complaining because I, I, I don't – I'm not looking for the story to be over. I'm just right. saying that it's appropriate to have the expectation. It's not, it's not a quality. It's a, it's a storytelling. It's, right. it's a you – know, when, so, you, when you're watching episode four of a season of a TV show, you don't expect it to be wrapping up the whole story. So you're saying – so hear me – let me think what I hear you're saying. You're saying that they may not show up in part one, but there's a chance, a small <laughs> one, that they'll show up in part two. Is that what you're saying? Uh, sure. That's what I'm saying. Okay. You're on record now. <laughs> um, okay. So So – what so did you do a rewatch of this recently? I did. I, I rewatched uh, the Avengers just this week. Okay. What What do you think about it now? How do you think it? I mean, after we've gone through the ten years, you know, and it's been six years since that movie came out, five or whatever. How do you feel mm-hmm. about it? Uh, well, it totally holds up. Yes. Um, in, in a way that I think some of the others actually don't as much mm-hmm. for me because I think some of the others, although they're fine what you feel when you watch them is that this was the beginning and we've grown past that now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it can feel a little weird going backwards that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not a, like a problem. It's a complaint. I'm just saying that this movie feels like where it really all gelled for the first time. This was the first time that it became what it is now. Yes, Absolutely. And, and and so and to yeah. be fair, it sort of ended like that first phase, right? They call it phase mm-hmm. one, which was right. all of, basically every movie we've covered in this show up until this one, and this this group is called phase one. Um, mm-hmm. And you get the sense that it's going to lead us into something else, you know, lead us into phase two. Uh, it and you get the sense that they finally come together. So it was an experiment on filmmaking techniques. I mean, there's some great visual effects in there. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an experiment on storytelling techniques. You know, how do you bring a bunch of characters together that have already had their own backstories? You know, one movie, two movies in some cases. And Mm -hmm. then how do you uh, get all them together and have a very interesting movie? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really uh, genius about it, uh, and this is actually something that I think has been a problem to the extent that I've got complaints about other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I like all of them, so keep all that in mind for context here. But some of the weaker elements of other Marvel Cinematic movies have often been that the villain is not especially interesting or clearly defined. Mm-hmm. And like, what do they want? It's not really very obvious. And occasionally what that translates to is final sequences like in Age of Ultron, where it's like, okay, well, we get a half hour of just fighting mindless robots for for fun. And and And, although there was a little bit of that in this, it wasn't 
it was still directed. It was still purposeful. Yeah. And you still it wasn't got this. Yeah. The, the, the Chitari were grunts by design mm-hmm. and we still had Loki. Mm-hmm. Loki was first of all, like the, the genius bit that I was, I was referring to is the fact that it was not a new villain. It was not only uh, a, a character we knew already from the Thor movie, but a character that had an existing connection to at least one of our heroes. Mm-hmm. And that made a big difference. And then it doesn't hurt either that Joss Whedon wrote Loki even better than he had been written in the first Thor yes. movie. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's no shot against uh, Kevin Kenneth Branagh exactly. But, uh, you know, just, you know, Tom Hiddleston with uh, Joss Whedon's mm-hmm. <laughs> the well, dialogue in his mouth is good stuff. He is very much good stuff. And Joss Whedon knows how to write snarky well um, snarky's maybe not the right word, but it's true too. Uh yeah. but very well defined villains. I mean, mm-hmm. if you go back to the seasons of Buffy and the seasons of Angel and even the seasons of Firefly, although we didn't get very far in there, but yeah. we have he knows how to write well defined villains. Absolutely. And Loki's right. just another one of those. Well, and another good example of that, I think, is that for all that Loki is in some ways defined by his ego, mm-hmm. we see like our first sign of him, like our first um, view of him in this movie when he shows up through the Tesseract. I mean, we get sort of, a, you know, it's funny, actually, the shot before we go to the actual hidden base with the uh, fury and all that, that bit where we actually see the, you know, Thanos's guy there for a second, that little tiny prologue bit. Mm-hmm. I had totally forgotten that was even in the movie. Right. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But, but my point is though, that when Loki shows up, he's obviously very powerful. He wrecks everything and gets away. But he looks scared and desperate. Yes, he does. He looks like, okay, I got work to do now. Right. Let's try to get this taken care of. He does not look okay. And then, for example, there's the later sequence midway through the movie where he he talks again with that same uh, lackey of Thanos um, where it's it's obvious that he feels like, look, I'm doing the best I can. And they're saying it's not good enough. <laughs> and there's just this this feeling of like as much as he is defined by wanting to be the one in charge that's the best and everybody kneel before me and all of that sort of thing. So you can see how much it stings to have him having to rely on others for this, especially others that want him to act to them the way he wants others to act to him. Mm-hmm. That's just that's good stuff. It makes him compelling. And I feel like that's something um, that's going to be in the rest in Infinity War. But we saw it in Thor Ragnarok, too, where he's still Mm -hmm. trying to, like, be the best he be the best villain he can be. But he's not going to be a good guy. He's still going to be he's still going to be the sort of well, he's Loki. Yeah, (laughs) he's the god of chaos. I forgot about that for a second. So. (laughs) He is motivated not by any sort of a sense of an abstract morality, but he does care about other people's approval. Yes. I think we've covered this a pretty lot, but (laughs) is there anything else that uh, we can sort of fill in the bucket of what does this add to the MCU? Well, I think that uh, what's the, the two big things that this movie does really well 
um, is one, the villain uh, sets up, uh, first of all, stakes that are higher than anything of them that the movies had covered before. Mm-hmm. Right. Full scale alien invasion. It feels like it changes the status quo in a fundamental way and in a way that would require all of these heroes to team up. And it and that that was critical is that we needed something that felt weighty enough that it would justify these two these people who don't get along very well finding a way to get past their differences. Mm-hmm. And and I think they did that well. Um, but the other key thing is to take all of these characters that had each been the star in their own movie, and now they have to be a team. And how do you give every one of those characters their own badass hero moment and uh pretty much all the characters get several i think hawkeye is probably the only one that gets kind of the short shrift and that's mostly because he's mind controlled through half of it right but even then he's still i mean the last time we saw him was in thor and Mm -hmm. he had like two lines right yeah so the fact that he is even we can even relate to him in some way. Now I've now granted our Avenue to him is through Natasha, but Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that we can even relate to him in any way is a a testament to the writing and to the movie. I mean, when Mm -hmm. he, when he's talking about uh, when he and Natasha are having a moment and sort of talking about, you know, red and ledger and why are you doing this? And she comes back with, because I, I, you don't want to see us win. I want to see good things happen in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he's, so it's an interesting thing. I'd like to see more of him. um, Well, see, you know, I, I honestly, uh, you know, Hawkeye, I'm kind of lukewarm on generally, like I have nothing against the character, Mm -hmm. um, but not one of my favorites, but I think like, I don't really have any major criticisms of, of, of the Avengers, but what I would say is just from a character development standpoint, he's treated like a major full, fully formed member of the team at the end. But we spent half the movie with him being a, a zombie controlled by the bad guy. Yeah. And so I feel like in some ways him being a fully fledged member of the team at the end doesn't really feel completely earned emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like I buy it in the moment, but uh, I feel like that's that's maybe one thing that could have been done better. Is um, I you know I don't know if it would just because we don't know him well enough to care when Loki turns his you know con- takes command of his brain. I think when I saw this movie the first time, we cared more about when he did it to Doctor Selvig than about Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, it, it it that's a little bit of a. How do you have your one of your heroes turn bad? You know, and mm-hmm. and that's a that's a weird thing that. Right. Well, a but weird and choice. we we barely knew him as a hero. Is my point, is that it would hurt more if we already cared about him, but we didn't right. really. Um. That said, like everyone else gets awesome moments. Like, you know, Natasha gets her whole intro scene, which is just, you know, amazing. And that whole thing where she she's getting looks like she's about to get tortured. And she says, come on, they're giving me everything. I'm working. Right, right. And when she does the same thing to Loki, have, you yeah, know, yeah. The, the rest Great of the way stuff. movie. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, you know, uh, I, one of the, I know that the whole romance between um, her and Bruce is, you know, controversial in some circles as it develops in later movies. But I feel like you can see the seeds of it 
here. Absolutely. And I feel like um, there's a lot of team ups or a lot of pairings of characters that you can see. You know, the Thor and Hulk have this mm-hmm. they start building this relationship. I mean, it's not yeah. like a, it's not like romantic or anything, but they start building a relationship that pays off in Thor Ragnarok. Um yeah. Loki well, and Hulk do the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, and and I think that yeah, Thor, one of the great joys of Thor Ragnarok was was giving some additional payoff to some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, how badass is the "I'm always angry" bit? I mean, oh. that's that's in iconic now, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's become a meme. A whole bunch of things from this movie are, are memes <laughs> now. Um, uh, you know, you get uh, Iron Man does a lot of cool stuff. He obviously gets the big climax moment with the bomb and everything where he, you know, that's like I would say that to the extent that any character in the movie gets an actual growth arc, it's him mm-hmm. because Captain America challenges him on. Yeah. You know, how much of this saving the day do you do because it feeds your ego? Like mm-hmm. at, at a certain point, if it really came to down time to throw yourself on a grenade, could you actually do that? And and to be fair, that was something that had started in the first one. You know, you saw mm-hmm. in the first Iron Man movie. Granted, Iron Man has has had the most screen time to this point, so it would make sense for him to have the most um, mm-hmm. character development to this point as well. Uh, and this. I've talked about this before, but I definitely think this movie is sort of one of the points of his arc that definitely will change going forward. I mean, the whole reason Mm -hmm. in Iron Man 3 that he's doing the things he does in Iron Man 3 and that leads into uh, Ultron is because of this bomb that he destroys, you know, that he flies up into space and then falls to Earth, essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, so having him get that growth moment. But I think everyone's, you know, like in addition to their just action moments, you also get Captain America, for example, discovering that shield has been building, working secretly on hydro weapons using Mm -hmm. the Tetrarch to make weapons. And like, that is a profound step for him that leads him right into winter soldier. Right. This, 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 this feeling of betrayal of shield is like, He's defined by his shield. The iconography of that is intensive in mm-hmm. in his brain, right? And like this idea that he's fighting for the good guys and everyone tries to make it complicated and it's really not. You just do the right thing and that's kind of how he thinks of it. But then realizing, oh, sometimes it actually is complicated and that's kind of hard to process. And that's something I got on this rewatch. I, I don't know that I got it when I've seen it you know, when I saw it six years ago, but when I watched it today, the idea mm-hmm. that he was looking at that shield manifesto and saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to uh, march to, to Fury's Fife. I think that was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you see at first when he's just basically coming to check on Bruce Banner and, and Tony Stark who are looking for the Tesseract and he's basically just got nothing to do because it's science bros team. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's they're they're doing their thing. So he's just coming in to check on him. And when they both immediately are on the same page that no, something's fishy here where this is weird. And Tony says, Oh yeah. And I'm hacking their servers. It, you know, uh, Steve's first reaction is to say, what, how right. could you do that? These are the good guys. You're supposed to be all on the same team here. And he's indignant about it. Right. But I think that's part of a uh, part of a man out of time thing. You know, in the 40s, yeah. 
in the forties, there was a little bit more, um, support of your, of your, of the government, right. And of the yeah. military. And now, you know, when this, when this movie is made, there's a little less, you know, support mm-hmm. or, of government in your, in your. Well, and also just a clear cut, you know, like in the first movie, he's fighting, you know, Nazis slash mm-hmm. hide, right. You know, they're, obviously definitely real super bad guys and there's no moral difficulty about Mm-mm. knowing that you need to fight them um whereas with this all of a sudden when you realize oh hey your own guys are doing some of the same stuff that you felt you needed to fight hydra for before absolutely and they say they're doing it for good reasons but, but- is that enough <laughs> Yeah. And and based on the fact that Winter Soldier came around, we know that they're not doing it for good reason. Well, yeah. Well, it, it's complicated at the very yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's just another example, though, of some of the genius of the shaping of the cinematic universe in the sense that they're planting these seeds and then paying them off in later movies. Right, right. Which is kind of why we're doing this, you know, this sort of rewatch where we can look at mm-hmm. the Avengers with you know, movies before and movies afterward to sort of look to see where it fits in the greater scheme of things. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to especially pick up on those things like uh cap looking at the uh looking at the 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 shield hacking and go, wait a second, these are good guys, but they're acting like bad guys, but you know, how does this jive with what I know? Mm-hmm. Star spangled man with a plan. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, without necessarily needing to spend too much time on it, just the whole Coulson subplot, yeah, uh, how they had seeded. The, I mean, honestly, you know, people, uh, I don't know, think it's as true anymore, but for a while there, Whedon had like this reputation <laughs> of like, oh, he'll kill everybody, which I don't really think is fair. He does not actually kill characters that much. It's just that when he does it, it really hurts. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason I wore my Captain Hammer shirt from yeah. uh, from Doctor Horrible is because a I wanted to see Nathan Fillion in the Avengers mm-hmm. because that would have been awesome. But b you know the he he killed Felicia Day. I mean, that was a yeah. huge when that happened. Your draw your jaws on the floor. And so when Coulson gets you know stabbed, your mm-hmm. jaws on the floor. Yeah, and he still gets a badass moment on his way yeah. out, but then. But I love I love the complexity of first of all, Coulson being the true believer, talking to Fury, and then saying that you know, like as his final words are basically saying, we knew they need something to bring them together, mm-hmm. something to dot 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 right, and right. Uh, and so all of that, and him being the true believer there, and being okay with having you know, that made this ultimate sacrifice, um, which again, you know, I mean, we could get on, we could have a whole discussion of agents of shield too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you, you do already, but I'm just saying, I love that show too. Anyway, though, but then well, make to sure go you listen from to that, the, make sure you listen to the other show. Yeah. So having set up though, you know, um, given Coulson a, uh, connection to all of the others, like he already knew Thor from the Thor movie. He mm-hmm. already knew Tony from the, the Iron Man movies and then giving him the trading cards thing with Captain America oh, and it being genius. plausible that he would have be a, a Captain America fan, but then having fury toss out the blood covered cards as a prop. And, right. And then Natasha actually calling him on it. 
It was Maria Hill. Cards were in his locker. Was it? Okay. It was Maria yeah. Hill. But but still, to have her call him on it and have yeah. him go, "Look, I did what I did because I'm super spy guy," right? Mm-hmm. That I I thought I'm excited when I see Nick Fury, not Nick Cage. I did that last week. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> when I see Nick Fury on screen and and played by Samuel L. Jackson because we cannot have enough of him. You know, I'm- you know, you know what? Um, it, this again ties into Agents of Shield, but uh, the the thing I couldn't stop thinking about during that, you know, uh, Coulson's death scene was actually the one scene in Agents of Shield where they got Samuel L. Jackson to show yeah. up and basically just say, "I always thought of you as one of the Avengers." Yes. I might have to go back and rewatch that episode. Oh, uh, so good, right? That, yeah, and and that's the kind of stuff I want to see in the movie. But I thought, Yeah. You know. Well, and honestly, just on Agents of Shield, the fact that he's been around doing the stuff he's been doing for so long and none of the Avengers know that he's alive. Right. It's just starting to really feel silly at this point. Right. Well, there's even that one line in Avengers where uh Iron Man he's been thrown out the window, he gets a suit, he, he almost burns the people down at the bottom of the of the Stark Tower, he flies back up and he says, Oh yeah, you made one other guy mad. His name was Phil. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no cleanup after that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you can certainly understand the reasons behind that, but it do, it does feel like a like a dangling thread. Well, there's like I mean, there's a couple, and we've talked about it on the other show, but basically, it comes down to the guy who does TV and the guy who does the movies, Kevin Feige, don't like each other. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. and part of the reason they that stuff like you know there's not as much crossover as the fans would like is because there's some political machinations happening Um, yeah so and that's always fun to sort of unpack yeah Uh, so do you have anything else uh not really i mean i guess i just you know this this movie holds up it's it's great um it did something for the first time that had never really been done before mm-hmm. and hasn't honestly really been repeated since because none of the other follow-up MCU movies, I mean, there've been plenty of them that are good, but none of them were as new as this was when it came out. Maybe guardians. Yeah. The first I guardians suppose, might but, be close, but in some ways that is new in a different way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because it, it, it establishes itself as separate. Like we're going to get it tied in, but otherwise, there's really no connection other than them telling us there is. I mean, right? I, I absolutely agree with you. The fact that we had, what, four mm-hmm. movies and then this one as the fifth movie, I, I've i never seen that. I, I don't think yeah. we've seen that since. I right. And so Guardians is, I you know, I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that might be my favorite um, MCU movie. But uh, I, I have all sorts of personal reasons for that <laughs> beyond the movie itself. But um but at the same time, it's it's new in a very different way yeah. because it's a separate story, really. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even – I mean, you could even take out Guardians – really Guardians 1 and 2 off on mm-hmm. their own little universe. The only time really we've seen them interact with our MCU is in the Infinity War trailer. <laughs> really. Well, it, uh, we had indirect because we had, I think, in Thor: The Dark World, um, they deliver the Aether to the Collector that we see in Guardians. Oh yeah, that's true. Spoiler alert: Thor: The Dark World yeah. isn't my favorite. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, 
It's okay. It's yeah. got some good stuff in it, but yeah, it's uh, see that's a perfect example of one where the villain doesn't deliver. Yeah, which it should. It's Christopher Eccleston. He should deliver leaps and bounds, but they covered him in makeup. This, anyway, the script isn't there. It's, what, the script is, doesn't know what he wants. This isn't the Thor the Dark World podcast. That's in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miss Christiana, where can yes. people find you on the internet? All of my stuff goes up at christianaellis.com. Is there anything you want people to know about? Uh, my most active project right now is uh, called So Many Levels, which is uh, a live play D&D uh, podcast slash video series. We stream it live on Twitch, then the video goes up on YouTube, but then there's also an audio podcast version. And uh, we're closing in on 50 episodes of the main campaign uh, wow. now. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you like live play D and D podcasts, there's a million of them now, but you can listen to ours. <laughs> you could, and you should, <laughs> and you should, uh, anyway, thank you for watching, rewatching the Avengers with us. I hope you enjoyed it. If you I did like, good, if you would like to share your thoughts with us, head on over to welcome to level com forward slash feedback, where you will find a great many ways to keep the conversation going. Welcome to the Infinity Initiative is a member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Once again, thank you for listening. Next episode, Iron Man 3.